And then we're going to get right back into a sermon series that we left off during uh, uh, the Easter season. It was in the book of James. We were going through the book of James and we left off at chapter 3. And this message this morning, I'm telling you, it's going to be... Matter of fact, look at your neighbor and say, this one right here is going to be for me. This, this one's going to be for me. Because this is one of those ones, you know those sermons that like you hear it and you're like, ooh, that's good. I, so, so-and-so needs to hear that. I'm telling you right now, this morning you're going to think so-and-so needs to hear that, but I promise you this one is for you. This, this is one of those messages that after I preach it, everybody's going to leave here and say, well, Clay aimed at it. Me, I know he did. And I'm telling you, no, I didn't name this at anybody. This fits all of us. And the title of my message is Loose Lips, Sink Ships. Amen. Feeling good about it this morning. Praise God. I, yeah. Everybody's in already. James chapter 3. Tell you what I like to do. I like to read through the text and then we'll jump into it. So James chapter 3 verses 1 through 12. We'll work through it verse by verse. But here's what it says. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers. For you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing, my brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Let's pray over the word together. Father, we thank you so much this morning. I love what Matt said, God, that your favorite favorite pastime is redemption. Lord Jesus, you love to reach out to us when we're in our brokenness, when when we're in our sin. Lord, when we're sick, when we're depleted, when we're hurting. And Lord Jesus, you love to extend your mercy and your grace to us and heal us and fix us and raise us up and strengthen us. And so I pray this morning that your spirit would move from person to person, Lord, that you would speak to each individual, that you would open their heart to the reality of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that you died for them, God, and that you love them. And so, Father, we thank you this morning for your word. We ask that you would help us to speak this word with an anointing of your spirit so that it will transform who we are and make us look more like you, Jesus. We love you. We give you all the glory for it. And it's in your name we ask it. And amen. 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 So how many of you, you have, a, you have a little bit of a difficulty controlling your tongue? Maybe you don't. Maybe you know somebody else that has a little bit of a difficulty controlling your tongue. Nobody going to raise their hand this morning. Everybody, everybody, a lot of people in here just going to own up to it. It's like, yeah, I've been struggling with that pretty much my whole life. It's a struggle. 
And here's the thing. This is what James is getting at. And he says this several times because you remember Matt preached a few weeks back and he actually made the point that stuck with me. And all he did was quote scripture. But James said, he said, look, if you consider yourself a religious person, you come to church, you raise your hands, you sing the song, you read some Bible verses, you even pray on occasion, you do all those things that fit the bill of a religious person, but you cannot bridle your tongue. He said, your religion is worthless. Man, that's, been, that's stuck with me ever since, and I'm thinking, Lord, have mercy. I don't know, I don't know what kind of shape I'm in, James. And, and we, so we start wrestling with this, 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 this thing that we got in our mouths that sends us down a trail sometimes that really causes a lot of destruction. Amen? And we say all kinds of words. If you actually Google how many words are spoken in a lifetime, one guy back in the 80s came up with this number. He said over about 800 million words in a lifetime. That's a lot of words. If you break that down, most people say that most of us average about 7,000 words a day. But ever since social media and different things like that, you add in more words. There's even more words than that going on in different ways, not just coming out of our mouths, but coming out of our fingers. Amen. And some of the worst words we ever speak are ones that are miscommunicated through text messaging. Anybody know what I'm talking about? It's like, hey, I need to pick up the phone. I don't know how well this is going to communicate through my fingers right now. Uh, you gotta, yeah, we got to give that tone to it. You know what I'm saying? Like, this is all good. And, th- and if you don't put like 13 emojis on the back end of a text, it's like, oh, they're mad. <laughs> and, and, and so communication is hard, man. And the words that we speak have an impact. And God has given us this ability. He's called us to steward our time. He's called us to steward our money, our resources, everything that He's given us in our life. But He's called us, maybe above all, to steward the words that we speak. And so the question is, how many words do you communicate in a day? Now, some of you probably communicate more than others. Amen? Like some of you, y'all just talkers. And I, we can't get you to be quiet. And uh, I, I got buddies that, that I, I just, I, when I'm around them, I just sit there. You know, I don't say anything because they're going to talk the whole time. And I just let them go at it. And, uh, and maybe at the end, I'll say, hey, bye. We'll see you. Uh, <laughs> But they do all the talking. Like, you got friends like that who say more than others, and so maybe they're in a little bit more of a, of a position to get in a mess. But here's the thing. Our words are, are, are a lot of times good as Christians. We're doing, But here's the problem. We get agitated. We get frustrated. Something bad happens. Maybe a series of things string together. Somebody really gets on our nerves, and all of a sudden, in a moment of time, we lose our cool. Our tongue gets unbridled. It runs loose, and it just starts to set a fire. Y'all ever been in that position? Some of you have been in that position just this week. And you start to let a little something loose that got you in that, in, in that position. But of all the words you spoke, even this week, if you were to do an examination of what was coming out of your mouth, did your words do more to advance the kingdom of God? Or did your words do more to promote darkness? Did your words do more to bring life into people and upbuild people and encourage people? Or did your words do more to tear down and cause destruction in lives and in the, and in the people's hearts and minds around you? And so number one, I want to make this point right out of the gate, and I think this is the one that James wants to make right out of the gate, is that we will all be judged for the words we speak. Amen? We're all going to be judged for the words we speak. And really, he says something right out of the gate in James chapter 1, verse 1. Not many of you should become teachers, he says. For you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. And for me, I'm like, man, this ain't no good. 
Like, cause, cause, and, and, and you need to, I have to consider this. He says, we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Now, the question is, is he talking about just people who teach the Bible? Or is he talking about parents? Because parents teach their children, right? You are responsible for your children just as much as I am responsible or more for this church. And what they hear and what is spoken and how they are indoctrinated. You are a teacher in your life as well. Now obviously, uh, the people who teach the Bible and say, uh, uh, claim to speak on behalf of God are going to be held to a much higher accountability than other people who do not. Every word that I speak from this pulpit will be put out and laid out before me one day. And that's going to be evaluated. Whether or not, not, not even just what I said, but whether or not my heart was behind it. What was the motive behind what I said? What did I want to see? out of the words that came out of my mouth. All of that is going to be put to the fire and it's all going to be tested in a moment of time. Now here's, here's what he says. Not many of you should be teachers because you'll be judged with greater strictness. And he says in verse 2, For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man. How many of you, you know a perfect man? I knew one of them. I knew one perfect man. His name is Jesus Christ. He didn't say anything wrong. Guess what? We killed him. The perfect teacher we crucified. And he didn't say anything wrong. And here's the reality is that you don't need to look for a perfect teacher because you ain't going to find one. There's really two types of teachers. There's one type of teacher who is an imperfect teacher, but he doesn't realize he's imperfect. He thinks everything that he says is flawless, and he thinks if he stands up behind the pulpit and preaches that he's got the anointing on him and no, nothing can be ever be challenged. Well, that's not the reality. See, there's another kind of teacher who is imperfect and knows he's imperfect and is working with God and allowing the Holy Spirit to shape and mold him so that he can become more like Christ and hopefully by the grace of God bridle his tongue and speak words of life and the words Words of the gospel and words that are going to transform lives and by the power of the Spirit convict hearts so that people can turn. But see, there is no perfect teacher. But here's the thing. When we talk about judgment, there's, there's three kinds of judgment. And sometimes people are going to judge you. Anybody ever judged you before? I know sometimes when you come into church, most people think, well, I don't want to go to church. They'll just, they'll just judge me. And, you know, we, I, I, I try to work really, really hard here to, to, to not judge anybody, even though I'm just like anybody else. I make some judgments sometimes. The thing that I found out is that people make judgments about us, don't they? People do. Like, even as a preacher and as a teacher, people make judgments about me. People say things all the time, and it gets back to me a lot of times. Like, I'll hear things that people say about me that are negative. Maybe they disagree with me ideologi ideologically. Maybe they disagree with something I teach, but they say certain things about me me and here's the thing people are always going to be judging you you might as well just get used to that people are always going to be judging you you might as well get used to that but see Billy Graham said something he said you know what you need to do he said you need to turn your critics into your coaches you need to turn your critics into your coaches so one of the things that I do like when somebody says something bad about me I just got to be honest with you my initial response a lot of times is like oh you know what I'm saying like something riles up on the inside of me and I think of like 10 quick witty things that I could say to tear them down and they start to almost come out and then the Holy Spirit says no don't don't, don't unleash that brother you know and, and, and so but, but that's how we initially want to respond when we find out that somebody has said something negative about us but in every criticism that I've ever heard about myself now some of them I think are just flat out lie like I've heard people criticize me and say stuff and I'm like well that's a lie that's not even true 
Uh, That's just not true. But then there are other things that they say, and I'm thinking, why are they saying that, though? Is there something that they say? Is there a way I said something that came off wrong? Can I change the way that I say things? Have I offended somebody? So I turn my critics into my coaches to see if I can change the way that I communicate to become a better communicator. And so you got to turn your critics into your coaches and not get so mad about, about it, but we'll look at that here in just a minute. Let's look at this, Matthew 12. Jesus says this. This is pretty interesting. Ties into this same thing. He says, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. I want you to imagine that. Imagine on the day of judgment, you stand before Jesus... And every conversation is written in a book. Everything is played out. Every word that you spoke. Everything that you posted on Facebook. Every text message that you sent. Every conversation that you had. Every private conversation that you had. All of it is laid out. And he said, I tell you on the day of judgment. Now he could have said a million things. He could have said, I tell you on the day of judgment. Every person that committed sexual immorality will be judged. And that's true. But he chose specifically to say that you will be judged for every careless word that comes out of your mouth. Every every idle word, word that you didn't think about thoughtfully. This is why James said in the beginning, like James is talking about this a bunch because he said, Hey, hey brothers, don't you know you should be slow to speak, quick to listen, and slow to anger? Because odds are somebody's going to tick you off and you're going to let your anger get the best of you and you're not going to be slow to speak. You're going to speak and it's going to cause damage and you're going to do some destruction that may or may not be able to be fixed just simply by the words that you spoke out of your mouth. And so he says, let's give this a look on the last day, on the judgment day. Now, you know there's going to be two kinds of judgment on that last day. For non-Christians, the degree of punishment is going to be judged and then your eternal destiny is going to be secured and fixed in a moment of time as we stand in judgment. Now, for Christians, it's not an issue of punishment or eternal destiny, but it's an issue of rewards. But he says one of the main things that is going to be judged in that moment, based for, on, for, for Christians, it's going to be based on rewards. But a lot of your rewards are going to come based upon what came out of your mouth. Because this is about, a pro- we live a life that through the power of the Holy Spirit, we proclaim a gospel. And we don't just proclaim it in our words, but we do proclaim it in our actions. But do you know that the scripture says that what, the way people get saved is by the proclaimed word of God. By the gospel spoken by you coming out of your mouth as a follower of Christ. And how you built people up and how you strengthened people. And how you pointed them to Jesus. And all of that, he says, is going to be judged. And our eternal reward is going to be based upon some of those things that came out of our mouths when we were living in these bodies. And here's the thing. So if people are judging me now, which they are, and that's cool. And then God's going to judge me then. Then I would do best to judge myself now and evaluate what is going on. You know, I used to ask, on, I can ask people around here, and I'll say, you know, how do how, you think? Give me, give me some feedback on a message. And most people probably don't want to hurt my feelings, so they don't really say much, and they just are positive and thank God they build me up because, you know, it makes me feel better, right? Amen. But if I talk to my mom or Andrea, usually they'll give me some real good feedback. You know what I'm saying? They'll be like, well, you probably shouldn't have said that. 
And, 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 it, and it, it's helpful for me. But the thing is, I need to evaluate the words that are coming out of my mouth on a regular basis. And not just in my preaching. Because preaching is one thing, but interpersonal relationships. My relationship with my wife. How I speak even to my little, my little baby that's running around. or other, You know, all these things need to be taken into account. And i got to be honest with you, I get in some situations. I get home at the end of the night and I'm like, man, I... I don't know if I should have said that, boys. Maybe I need to make a couple phone calls. You know what I'm saying? Clean some things. Anybody ever been in that situation? Sometimes I think if, if we're basing on what James says, that's actually a good thing because you cannot expect to be perfect with the words that you say all the time. You're going to blow it sometimes. You're going to mess up. You're going to say some dumb things. And it's going to happen. You might as well get ready for it. But we can change and we can get better at what God would have us to do. I remember when I first got saved, I really had like a conversion experience. Man, I was filled with the Holy Spirit. My life was transformed. I remember I was in Lexington when it happened. I was going to EKU at school. I was about 21 years old. And I used to play ball, you know what I'm saying? Because I was working on my game, trying to get in the D League and all that. Big time intramural baller, you know what I'm saying? Anybody? No? A couple of laughs. Couple laughs. Anyway, so I go, I go to the gym and I play basketball with a bunch of guys. And, and I went in there one day and none of my buddies were in there. And I, I got in a pickup game. And like I said, I had just experienced like a real transformation with the Lord. It was really fresh. It like happened that week. And I went and played ball. And this dude was just like, he was pushing me and giving me a hard time and cussing at me and trying to provoke me. And finally, I just got, it just boiled up in me and I forgot I was saved. You ever forget you saved? <laughs> And, dude, I, I pushed that dude back and cussed him, as my dad used to say, to where a fly won't light. And, and, and as soon as I did it, I stopped in my tracks, was immediately convicted. And I looked at him, and he looked at me. He's like, uh-oh, something went wrong with that dude right then. He just, he just misfired. Like, because he went from angry to all of a sudden ashamed in a, minute, uh, in a moment of time. And I was like, I'm sorry, dude. And I walked out the door, went to my vehicle, and, and I... I'm going to tell you, I cried like a little girl. I don't know what else to tell you. That's how convicted I was because when the Holy Spirit changed my heart, one of the first things He wanted to get a hold of was my tongue. The things that I said, what came out of my mouth. And I didn't care to go off on somebody at the drop of a hat back then, but the Lord wanted to get a hold of my tongue, my speech. And He did that and He convicted me. And as far as I know, that was the last time I remember ever really cussing somebody. You know what I'm saying? Unless I did it one night in my sleep. I, I, the, Lord, the Lord sanctified me after that in that particular situation. But see, even now, like I said, there are conversations that I have when I'll just be with my, with my buddies here, maybe even people that I'm in ministry with. I remember I was with a buddy of mine here in here the other day, and he probably remembers it. And I said some things, and he said some things, and, I, and, and, and it wasn't anything really bad. But then when I got home, I got to thinking about it. I said, man, that wasn't edifying. That wasn't good. I sent him a message. I said, I said, uh, I said man, I, I probably should have said that right there. And he said, I don't know what you're talking about. And sometimes people don't even pay attention to it and notice it. But, man, we want to keep our hearts clean from those things, don't we? I've had people message me and say, you know what, we're just having that conversation, I probably shouldn't have said that. And I'm like, you know what, it's all right, we all do it, but the fact that you, the, the Lord's working in your heart and you're realizing that you need to bridle that is a, is a wonderful thing. It's just a blessing from the Holy Spirit whenever you realize, man, I just need to bridle that. I probably shouldn't have said that. Because it's an okay thing to retract some statements and say, you know what, I was wrong. I, is it so hard to admit, hey, I was wrong. I probably shouldn't have said that. 
There's something that happens when you're willing to humble yourself enough to do that. Now, the, the other thing that you need, want, to, want to consider in this is like, how's the language in your home? This is one that the Holy Spirit really deals with me a bunch because it's easy for us to come to church and say, Hello, brother. Bless God. I'm saved, sanctified, filled with the Holy Ghost. Hope you're doing well. Be blessed. And you can do that publicly. But when you get home at the end of a day after you done already worked all day and you're wore out and you're tired and everything's went wrong and you holler at the kids and, and, you like, and then all of a sudden you say a little something to your wife. You know what I'm saying? And it's maybe not too terrible, but it certainly ain't uplifting. <laughs> Amen this morning. Now, this is a good word right here. And all that stuff gets in there. You are setting a culture and you're developing a culture in your home whether or not hell is going to exist there or heaven is going to exist there. And your child is going to grow up in that atmosphere based upon the words you speak. There should be praise in your house. There should be blessing in your house. There should be uplifting and encouragement in your house. There should be the Word of God going forth in your house and not beating down and nagging and complaining and arguing and fighting and yelling. That stuff needs to be exterminated by the power of the Holy Spirit in your life and in your home. Amen? And so he's trying to work this in us and establish us, this in us because we're called. Let me tell you something. The people of God, the Bible says that in the last days, he will pour out his spirit upon all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. And I'll pour out my spirit upon both sons and daughters and they shall prophesy. What that means is that they've got an anointed tongue from heaven to be able to proclaim the word of God over their family members, over people they don't know and speak life so that literally when they hear the words that are coming out of your mouth, chains break. Chains break. Not, well, they just like, oh, well, you know, life's hard out there, but the world's getting bad, ain't it? Yeah, but it's bad out there. That's not prophetic. That's demonic. It doesn't seem it. It's really just natural on a human, fleshly, carnal level. But when we're filled with the Holy Spirit, we've got a word from heaven that doesn't sound like the rest of the world. And God is calling us to give that prophetic word from heaven to our children, to our spouses, to our church family, and say, you know what? God's got a different word than what the rest of the world is saying right now. And so he says, number two, your tongue needs to be tamed. Because, hey, I'm going to give three points in this right here because he gives three points. He says, if you don't tame your tongue, one of the things it's going to do is it's going to run wild. And he uses the analogy of a horse. How many of you in here, you ride horses? I know Jimbo right back here. We got a couple. Tim back here's got a horse. Beautiful horse. We're going to try to sell that thing, Tim. I'm, I'm just kidding. Big money. James 3.3 says, if we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. You know, a runaway horse, a wild horse can kill somebody. You know, we talk about people that ride horses, get bucked off. And I remember I rode a horse when I was a little kid, and just a buddy that had some horses. He said, go in there and get on that horse. I had no idea what I was doing. Didn't know how to control it. You know what I'm saying? I'm just on that horse with no supervision, and all of a sudden the thing got mad and just started bucking up, and I got scared to death. Because when you don't have control of a thousand-pound beast, it's dangerous. That thing stomp on you. That thing will trample you. It'll buck you. It's a dangerous thing. And he says, we need to put bits in their horses so that, in their mouths so that we can guide these horses. Have you ever seen like horse competitions and stuff? I, I saw some, some, some footage recently of people that were training horses. They can get them big, them big monsters to stop on a dime and then they'll like back up. I mean, they can get, they can, and then they'll run around in circles like this. 
Have y'all ever seen that? Like they get hor- and then they'll be like, lay down, buddy, lay down. And that thing just lay down. And you're talking about a thousand pound beast that could do whatever it wanted to. And they have tamed that thing to stop on a dime, move around, run in circles, jump poles, do all kinds of things. And it's an amazing thing when you can tame a horse. But here's the thing. What James is saying is, you know the way that they get that thing tamed? Very small little piece, just a bit that they put in their mouth. And he's saying in the same way that they tame a horse by putting a bit in its mouth, is the same way that you need to learn how to bridle your own tongue and control that little member in your mouth. You need to get a bridle on that thing. And that, that, that's, that's the picture that he's using because what happens is this. Put, put this picture of this horse I got up. I found this online. That's a good-looking picture, isn't it? Like, that horse ain't been broken yet, and they're trying to break this horse. Well, here's what it is. This, it, this picture represents an analogy to me. You see that white horse? That's your tongue running wild. The guy with that rope, that's you trying to tame that thing. And the guy back there in the back is your Christian brother saying, oh, he said too much. And that, that's really, that's, that's what's going on there. And that's, that's the analogy that he's saying. He's saying your tongue is like a wild horse. And, uh, and, and contrary to what the Rolling Stones said, this wild horse will take you away. It will carry you away. It will take you down a path that you do not want to go in because when you got an untrained horse bucking, there's not much you can do about it. And I'm telling you something. we got people, even in the church, very often in the church, maybe more so in the church than anywhere else, that they've got wild horses for tongues, and it causes damage, and it leads them astray, and it runs wild, and it tramples people, and it injures people. Sometimes it even causes death. Sometimes people even leave the body of Christ because of things that are said and spoken. And the question is, you know, in our world today, how many truths do you think are really twisted? Like if you turn on the news, how much of that is even actually truth? I don't care which news source you're watching. How much of it do you think is actually truth or it's twisted to kind of fit a narrative? How many things by PR uh, and, and media, and all of these things, these companies, and lawyers even, and attorneys, trying to twist a narrative and influence people are li- literally just outright lies or half-truths. How many things that your kids are taught in school and in colleges are just false indoctrination, things that are totally contrary to Scripture, just, just lies, words spoken every day that are taking people down a path of destruction? How many gossip stories have you heard, maybe about famous people or even about some people that we know down the road, how many gossips have you heard that really are just outright myths? I get information about people all the time. Well, you know, so-and-so did this and this. And then I'll talk to... I won't say anything. I'll talk to so-and-so maybe... However long later, totally different story on the other side. You know, Proverbs actually talks about hearing one person's side of the story without hearing another person's side of the story. If you listen and take that for the truth, Scripture says you're a fool. You need to hear both sides of the story before you just take it and run with it. Amen. So here's some tips for taming your tongue real quick. If you're going to tame it and get, it, get that rope on that wild horse, number one, you've got to set some boundaries and keep them. And sometimes we forget about these boundaries. But, you know, here's the thing. If I can't have a healthy conversation with a person or a group of people, this is very hard because people want to please people. And I get it. Like, like if you were to say to somebody, hey, look, listen, I just don't know if we can have a healthy conversation. Let's, let, let, let's, let's not go there. They'll probably get mad at you. But you know what? If they ain't going to hear that and they're going to go down a, a, a road of destruction, let them get mad at you. You're trying to help them. You're trying to bless them. But there are some 
parameters you need to set and say, listen, brother, all you want to do is war. All you want to do is argue. All you want to do is debate. I love you. I'm just not going to go there with you. I'm going to set some boundaries here. In our house, you know, we need to set some boundaries. Here's some things we're just never going to say. This word, we ain't never going to say it. That right there, it's just never going to come out of our mouths. And when we do, we're going to repent instantly and ask for forgiveness. And you, you set some boundaries so that, so that you don't enter into those places where all of these things are just running wild all of the time. Number two, you need to overlook some things when necessary. Overlook some things. Because sometimes people will say things that will re- provoke a response, but you need to remember something very important. I remember reading this verse years ago, and it's stuck with me ever since. In Ecclesiastes 7, verse 21, if you put that up right quick, it says, do not take to heart all the things that people say. Notice this. Don't take to heart all the things that people say, lest you hear your servant cursing you. Your heart knows that many times you yourself have cursed others. And when I hear somebody speaking something negative or hurtful about me, I will get upset. I'll get angry sometimes. I'll even be provoked to response. And I will remember this verse. The Holy Spirit will bring it to my mind and say, Brother, you need to let that go. You need to overlook that because you know yourself that there have been some times you've let some words slip and you spoke bad about people too. Somebody amen me this morning. How is it you're going to show yourself grace and you ain't going to show somebody else grace? Overlook that, forgive them, go on and bless them in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And don't let that bitterness get in your heart. Don't hold a grudge. Don't be that person. Some people are enslaved in here this morning to a grudge and you need to forgive and let it go. They said something small that you've probably said worse than ten times or more. And you need to let that set into your heart. Sometimes it is the glory of a man to overlook an offense. And you need to overlook that. Number, number three, unfollow, unfriend, and ignore. Because when it happens online, like, here's the thing. Sometimes you can get all caught up in online battles. I remember one time I, I made a big post. And here's the thing. I used to would make posts on Facebook, and they wouldn't even be saying anything except positive stuff. And there'd always be one dude. Get on there in my comment section. And so, and so well, brother, I don't know about yada, yada, yada. And, you know, and, and I said, oh, okay, okay. And I would respond really, really kindly, even though I'd be boiling over inwardly. But then I finally realized, you know what, this ain't even worth it. I don't know how much I'm, I'm, I'm building anybody up with some of the things that I'm saying. Sometimes I need to be really selective about what I post on there because it just doesn't do me any good. And I don't know if it's doing anybody else any good. And there's some people that you follow, you just need to snooze button on them. If you're getting on Facebook and you're getting riled up and tore up and worked up, just hit the snooze button and unfollow and get out of Facebook. Protect your heart. If things are causing you to get riled, sometimes you just need to unplug from stuff. You just need to unplug from stuff. And number four, you need to have the conversation about not having the conversation. You remember when Satan came to Eve in the garden in the beginning in Genesis chapter 3, he wanted to have a conversation. Hey, let, let, let's talk about this. Uh, eating all the trees of the garden and not eating the tree of the garden uh, of the knowledge of good and evil. You know what Eve could have said? You know what, Satan, I'd love to have the conversation. But look, we got a lot of animals to name. Uh, there's all kinds of trees over here. We're having date night. There's like a new berry tree we ain't even checked out yet. We ain't having this conversation. And sometimes you just need to have the conversation about not having the conversation and say, brother, I know this is going on, but you know what? It's going to be better if we just don't talk about this. Let's just move on. Let it go. Amen. I mean, that's a good tip. And then lastly, pray. And this is something that's very interesting because if you prayed a lot more, you'd say a lot less dumb things. 
If you prayed a lot more, you'd say a lot less dumb things. And David knew about this. This is why he prayed in Psalm 141.3. He said, set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. In Psalm 19.14, I like to pray this one a lot, especially before I, I preach. And it works sometimes, you know. I mean, I've already probably said some things that the Lord's going to bring in judgment in the end this, this morning. Psalm 19.14, he said, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. So he's praying, Lord, set a watch over my mouth. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. And you need to do these things to get a hold on your tongue. But in the same context, here's what he says, number two. Your tongue needs to be tamed because it will sink you. So he uses the analogy of a horse. Then he uses the analogy of a ship. And he says in, in James 3, 4, Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So he's talking about big, massive things that have an, an enormous amount of power, but their power is controlled by something very small. You have an enormous amount of power, but your power is ultimately controlled by something very small right here in your mouth. And you can release all kinds of power through the things that you speak for good or for evil. And so it has to be directed. This massive ship, if you put this picture up, this, is, this ship is called the Bismarck, and it's a black and white photo because that was back in about 1940, and that was uh, one of Nazi Germany's, that was Nazi Germany's premier ship. This thing was like 825 feet long. It had, it had um, crazy amounts of armaments all over it. They shot shells that were 15 uh, inches long. It, it, it destroyed the Royal Navy's HMS Hood, the, which was their, their biggest ship, their best ship, one shot, boom, blew it out of the water, destroyed it. And so they tried to attack this thing over and over because it was causing so much damage in World War II. And they couldn't, they could not get this. I mean, they would shoot and the shells would fall off this thing. And, and they kept trying, they kept trying to attack it, and it had one vulnerable weakness. It had one rudder, and that rudder was very close to the exhaust port. And they were shooting it every direction, couldn't bring it down, and all of a sudden somebody struck the rudder. And it left it dead in the water. They surrounded it and shot it from every angle and blew that thing out of the water, destroyed that ship. And it was because it had one vulnerable rudder. And I'm telling you, in the same way, you got one vulnerable thing in your life that you need to pay attention to. And it is your tongue, the words that are coming out of your mouth. You know, during that time after that happened, there was a slogan that came out by a distiller. If you put that up, this is the name of my, my sermon this morning. It said, they, they said, you know what? Loose lips sink ships. Loose lips. And what they were saying is, look, we're at war. And you might have information about where soldiers are going or where ships are located or where, or where we have armaments or where we have ammunition. He said, don't be talking about it to nobody because if the enemy finds out, they will use it against us. And I'm telling you something, folks. We are in a spiritual war at all times. And you need to watch what's coming out of your mouth because loose lips will sink ships. The enemy will use it against it. He will stir up discord and strife and accusation. And I'm telling you something, man. The enemy is just, he's always accusing, blaming, stirring strife, stirring anger, trying to get people to divide, to hate one another. He's trying to get people to do it in the body of Christ. Of all the people that usually say something negative about me, guess what? They're all spiritual leaders. Isn't that interesting? Satan wants the church to be divided above all things. Ain't nobody just down here on the road right here high this morning talking bad about, well, you know what, Clay Bishop, he's the worst guy ever. Nobody's doing that. 
Because Satan gets involved and he tries to turn brother against brother, sister against sister. He wants to cause division within the body of Christ and loose lips will sink ships. And then secondly again, but the third one, he says your tongue needs to be tame because it will unleash hell in your life. So he gives the analogy of the horse, he gives the analogy of the ship, and then he talks about hell, which is pretty strong. Amen. He says, he says it's a fire. And he says, so also, in verse 5, the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. So, if a fire, you know, sometimes we go out and burn boxes, and Andrea, she, she's, she gets really nervous about certain things in life. I think burning boxes is one of them. Anybody else burn boxes? I don't know. Sometimes you got to burn boxes. And she, every time, though, is it okay to do it today, though? Like, is it going to be? A, because, and I got to be honest with you, there have been, been a time or two I got out there and, like, burnt boxes. and <laughs> It's like a raging forest. And, and I'm like, well, that could burn something down. I don't know. Thank God nothing's happened. But there was a couple of times where it spread a little bit. And, you know, you're over, like, kicking leaves and try, trying to keep it from spe- spreading. Because a fire, once it gets started and it begins to spread, there ain't much you can do about it. There ain't a whole lot you can do. You can fight it. You can try. But once it starts, there, was a, there, there were a lot of California wild. There are always a lot of California wildfires. There was one just recently in 2021 they called the Dixie Wildfire. It consumed one million acres. I got a couple of pictures on this. Put up that first one. This is kind of when it started. Now, here's what they claim. They claim that this fire that burnt down a million acres, you're talking about New York City four times. Burnt down a million acres, like 1,700 homes were destroyed. Some people died in it. They said what happened was a tree most likely hit a power line. That power line dropped a spark and the spark lit some brush underneath, and the wind caught it, and before long it spread and, built and burned a million acres. And he's saying in the same way that that took place, go to the next one, go to this next one. They actually did a story about it. Look at that. Look at the destruction. You know where it started from? A spark. And he's using this analogy because he says there's just one spark. You can be with just your friends and just start one little spark of gossip. And before long, that thing spreads like a wildfire. And ain't nobody putting it out. And then it passes down to the next group of people and to the next group of people and in another home and then in another home. And everybody keeps putting their log on it. Nobody pulls out the hose to water it down and say, no, we don't need to be talking about that. Everybody pulls out their kindling and says, yeah, let's stir that thing. but Let's put a little wood on that. And that's the attitude of a heart that's not directed by the Holy Spirit. And see, here are some ways that the fire starts. Number one is gossiping. We gossip and that fire gets started. And really gossiping is telling news that is not ours to tell. Amen. Now, i tell you something. Gossip is an interesting thing, isn't it? Because like everybody in the, in the church feels real good because they ain't drunk, they ain't high, and they ain't committing fornication. Like it's, like, it's like in the church, if you can do those three things, man, we got it made. And I'm telling you, almost everybody in the church struggles with gossip. But people do not talk about it that much. It's not one of the big sins. It's one of those ones that we can overlook because we preface it with, well, I probably shouldn't say this. Well, you think somehow that negates the fact that it's still sin? Because you probably shouldn't say it? No, it's still sin. It still hits the list. Praise God. I'm getting... 
Pull it back, Clay. Easy. Don't hurt the people. And here's the thing. When we have conflict with people, I want you to think about this. When you have conflict with some person, do you generally go to the person or do you generally call up three friends first to let them know what's going on before you go to the person that you actually have conflict with? You know what that's called? It's called gossip. Worst case scenario, you bring somebody into a quarrel that is not their own. I love this, this verse in Proverbs, Proverbs 26, 17. It says, whoever meddles in a quarrel not his own is like one who takes a passing dog by the ears. So I want you to imagine a dog's passing by, and you're like, oh, well, there goes a the dog. Who is going to say, you know what, I think I'm going to go and take that dog by the ears. <laughs> Nobody's going to say that. And because if you did, that dog will turn around and bite you. And that's what he's saying. He's saying somebody that meddles in a quarrel not his own is like one who sees a dog going by, takes that sucker by the ears. It's going to turn around and bite you. And once it bites you, you're involved in something that's not your own. And the gossip grows and it spreads. And in the same chapter, he says this in verse 20, For lack of wood, the fire goes out. And where there is no whisperer, quarreling ceases. Sometimes the advice that I give to people is, you know what, in this, in this scenario, best thing you can do is just not say nothing. Keep your mouth shut. Don't stir it. Let it pass. Let it die out. Put water on it. Do not put wood on it. Because where there is no whisper, there is no wood. And where there is no wood, there is no fire. And that thing will go out. Proverbs 17, 19. Notice this. Whoever covers an offense seeks love. So when you hear people like talking about somebody else, probably there's been times that I have heard people say very negative things about people to the degree that I thought, man, if I told them that, they would get mad. You know what I'm saying? You know what I do? I don't tell them. You know why? I'm seeking love. And I cover that offense. But here's what it says. But he who repeats a matter separates close friends. And so sometimes people say dumb things. Best thing you can do is not spread it. Best thing you can do is not repeat it. Best thing you can do is say, you know what? We're going to pray that the Lord kills that right there where you said it, and it falls to the ground and it doesn't go no further than this. And then when you do that, you're going to be helping a lot of people, including that person and the person they spoke against. Because as far as that person knows, that person loves them to death. Next time they're going to say, I love you, sister. Well, I love you too. You know what I'm saying? Like, Let's just keep it there. And then let's preach the Word and let them get convicted so they, they repent of the things that they say, and they love one another with sincerity. Amen. And then lastly, you end up sowing discord among brothers. The Scripture says in Proverbs six nineteen that God hates. There's six things that God hates, and seven are an abomination to Him. And a couple of the things that He talks about are literally what comes out of your mouth. He says He hates a false witness who breathes out lies, and He hates one who sows discord among brothers. So when you actually start talking in such a way where it causes discord to be between between people, you're doing something that God really hates. So I've got a big long list. I don't know that I want to go through all of it, but see, when we start to lie, and sometimes Christian people just say half-truths, things that aren't completely true. You can put that list back up for them if you want to so they can look at it. Sometimes we slip into being a false witness. We just say, well, you know, they said this, when in reality they didn't say that at all. Sometimes we, we slip into libel or slander or defamation. And it's interesting because we can legally say way more about public figures than we can about a private person, right? So you know what we do? The Bible says that we are to pray for those in authority, but you know what we do? We take to social media and we set them on fire. 
and we talk about them like dogs. Amen. Yelling to overwhelm and intimidate others. False teaching. Right now we are in the middle of a generational apostasy. The things that they are teaching our kids in schools a lot of times, not all the times, thank God, but many times there are a lot of doctrines that are coming in that are so anti-biblical it's not even funny. And we're in the middle of, of a generational apostasy. Flattering. Sometimes people will butter you up to your face, but they'll tear you down behind your back, right? Cursing. Foul language. Speaking destruction over people's lives. You can take unholy oaths and say, I'll never forgive you. I hate you. You're always going to be like this. You can slip into name calling and say, you know what? They ain't nothing but trash, them people right there. And then lastly, you do all that. And you make an excuse and you say, well, I shouldn't have said that, but I was just mad or this is just my personality. Guess what? The Holy Spirit can change your personality. Amen. And so you slip into this and there's all kinds of negative narratives. And here's the thing. James knew about this because James was the brother of Jesus, wasn't he? James is the brother of Jesus, and Jesus had all kinds. Like when Jesus shows up on the scene, he's preaching good news, he's healing the sick, and everybody says, you know what, that dude right there, he hangs out with sinners, he ain't nothing but a drunkard and a glutton. I saw him down there drinking wine with them prostitutes. He's a wild man, and he's the holiest man on the planet. And then all of a sudden, Mary, there's a story going around about James' mother Mary because she literally is impregnated by the Holy Spirit, and I know that's hard to believe. Well, they start saying, well, who's your, who's your dad, Jesus? Who's your dad, James? Well, you don't even know who your daddy is. Your mama has been with so many men, we don't even know who your dad And it was a negative narrative of tongues that were set on by the fire of hell. And we know all this. It spreads in our world today, and it spreads like crazy. And when he talks about hell, I'm finishing up soon, but notice he says it's set on fire by hell. Hell is this word called Gehenna. And I want you to get this picture. Hell is this, this word called Gehenna. And Gehenna was a place right outside the city gates of Jerusalem. And it was a place where pagans would go to offer up their children as a sacrifice to false gods. Now that's crazy, isn't it? And for Jewish people, it was cursed, it was demonic, it was a place of destruction and death and decay. So what happens is, after they quit offering sacrifices of children to false gods there for a season, they turn it into a garbage dump. So anytime they get garbage, they take it out to Gehenna and they just dump it in there. And then they would set it on fire. And guess what? If you died, they would bury you somewhere. But if a criminal or an outlaw died, they would take his body and dump him in Gehenna, and there would always be trash. And if there, we, we, Somebody knows, we was talking about maggots this morning. You leave trash out sometimes. One day we left, we left a bunch of trash in here in the, in the kitchen, and I went in maybe like a few days later, and there were just maggots everywhere all over the floor. Bless God. We bleached it since then, don't worry. Things are fine. But what he's saying is, he, you remember Jesus when he talked about hell. He mentioned it 11 times. He said it's a place where the fire is not quenched and the worm does not die. And it's a picture of this place that was constantly burning. They would see the smoke at, at, at day and they would see the fire at night and the trash was burning. But if you went down there, it was so gross. There were maggots everywhere. And it was a perpetual burning and perpetual magnets. It was maggots. It was a place of decay. It was a place of destruction. And what he's saying is your tongue, you're either going to bring down heaven into this world or you're going to bring up hell. And what you say is either going to unleash life 
and unleash blessing upon the people around you and unleash the gospel and salvation and redemption. Or it is literally going to unleash death and destruction and demonic decay in people's lives. And you need to make the decision on what you're going to do. Because you remember Jesus as our model. When He was crucified, He was mocked, He was ridiculed, He was made fun of while He was hanging on that cross. And He did not respond with reviling and say, well, you boys ain't nothing but trash. He said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And this is my last point, and I'm done. But number three is only the Holy Spirit can transform your tongue. Only the Holy Spirit can transform your tongue. He says, For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. He says, from the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. And he, he, here's one of the things that we know. Pressure, hardship, when somebody says something about you, when you get aggravated, you know what it does? It reveals what is on the inside of you, doesn't it? When you say all your worst stuff, usually, unless you're just in a habit of all you do all day long is say bad stuff, but usually somebody provokes you. Usually you get aggravated. Usually you see something that you don't like. And he's saying, but when the pressure's on, all of a sudden what's on the inside of you starts to come out. And do you know what, what Jesus said in Matthew 12? He said, you know what? Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And when you've got good treasure in your heart, you bring out good treasure. When you've got bad treasure in your heart, you bring out bad treasure. And the question is, what are you storing up in your heart right now? Because out of the abundance of the heart, your mouth is going to speak. And whether or not it's life or death depends on what is actually in your heart. And the power of the redeemed tongue is incredible. I'm going to tell you something, folks. When you've got the Holy Spirit living on the inside of you, I remember when I first started coming to church, I would be so excited because I believed that when I came to church, God was going to impress on me by the Holy Spirit somebody that I could give an encouraging word to. Somebody that I could pray over and bring life. And I remember I wasn't going to get up and preach. I wasn't a preacher at the time. But I was going to go and I, I remember thinking, man, the Holy Spirit's going to move me. He's going to show me somebody to speak a blessing into. I was talking to somebody just this week. He said, and he was leaving the other day. He was leaving church. He was walking out. And I don't know, I felt an impression. I said, hey, come here a minute. And I called him up, prayed over him. And I didn't think nothing about it. He left. He said, man, when you did that, something changed in my heart. My point is you got to be sensitive because you have power, the, the power of life and death in your tongue. And you have the ability to speak into somebody's life these gospel truths, the Word of God, and give an encouraging word and build somebody up. The Scripture says in Ephesians, don't let any corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good for building others up, that it may minister grace to the hearers. Don't let a corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. Build people up and minister grace to them. Not what they deserve, what they don't deserve. The gospel, the good news, a good word. When Isaiah, and he was starting his ministry, he was in the house of the Lord. He has an encounter with God. He sees Jesus high and lifted up. And he says, 
Woe is me, for I am undone. And notice what he says. He says, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. And an angel flies over to him and touches a hot coal to his lip and purges him and cleanses him. And after that, he gives him the ability and the power to prophesy and give us the book of Isaiah. In the new covenant, whenever the Holy Spirit came, what's the first thing that he got a hold of? He got a hold of their tongues and tongues of fire rested upon each of them. And they left that building and they they proclaimed the wonderful works of God. My point in all of this is saying, is is your tongue, what you're saying on a daily basis, is it advancing the kingdom of God or is it advancing the kingdom of darkness? Put these things in the balance. You need to be filled with the Holy Spirit so that God can use you to bless others and bring life into others. This is what God's saying to us this morning. Amen. I want you to bow your heads right where you're at.